Coach Taku. Making anime your new life coach. Greetings, Coach Taku listeners. It is I, the grand Christina Stathopoulos. And this week, I need to issue a formal apology to my co-host, Mary, because I encouraged her to watch a series that devastated her to no end because I provided no context to what it was actually about. (laughs) Um, uh, To continue hinting at what I'm talking about, this is probably the Magical Girl series that redefined what a magical girl series could be. And in some ways I would say uh, by the end of it might actually fall more into psychological horror than it does the sparkly hope that we are used to. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about yet from that description, I am referring to of course, Madoka Magica, which uh, if you've never seen the series, I actually, seriously speaking, this is one of those series, if you haven't seen it, turn off this episode. Like, thank you so much for wanting to support us, but I highly recommend that you go and watch this first because the spoilers will just affect the impact that the story will otherwise get to have on you. And the reason for that is because Madoka Magica is very much about these sweet, genuine, loving, pure-hearted girls that are granted the opportunity to become magical girls through this cute alien cat rabbit. Um, But what they don't realize is that what's at stake to make this possible is that in exchange for having their wishes granted, they're actually giving up their souls. So we're going to dive into the the potential coaching conversation that you could have across this series. But one other thing that I wanted to clarify is I know that Madoka Magica ended up being such a hit that there's been uh, manga editions, there's been movies, there have been alternate timelines to kind of explain the fates of the characters. But we are specifically chatting about the original anime run, which was only about 12 or 14 episodes. It was a much shorter series. And yeah, anything else you'd like to add about Madoka Magica, Mary? All I have to say, as Christina told me, it's a magical girl series. I was like, ooh, into it. And then she goes, it has some horror, psychological thriller. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I see the characters and they're super cute. And there's a cute little rabbit-like alien thing. And I was like, oh, it's like a Pokemon. I was so wrong. I was so wrong. (laughs) And which brings me to the coaching conversation that we could have with this series. And... You know, I kind of struggle. I'm not going to lie to you. I struggled a little bit because I was so in my feelings about this. And then I figured out what the conversation was that we could have for this one would be. And it's around relationship patterns, because what we find in the series time and time again is these really unhealthy relationship uh, patterns that these girls have to themselves and to others. And I think this is a really important conversation that we can actually access through this anime for ourselves because oftentimes 
we all have um, beliefs, patterns that we also have in relationships to either a romantic partner or to our friend or to our siblings or parents. And it's really important to be aware where we're coming from and whether that's actually an empowered choice or a disempowered choice and how we can be aware of that and actually create something different. And that's really more aligned with ourselves. So really interested in having this conversation by looking at the different characters and seeing kind of just like uh, teasing out what those relationship patterns are for each character. So Christina, who do we start with? <laughs> well, um, actually, before we get started, one thing I do want to clarify on, because it's been a while since we had an episode that could toe the line between what is a coaching conversation and what might be a therapeutic conversation. So to be super clear, Mary and I are not trained therapists, we're trained coaches. And so because of that, the difference in the conversation that we're going to be having today is we're not here to diagnose any of these characters. We're not here to offer what routines we would provide for them to heal their relationship patterns. Um, from the coaching perspective, we're much more objectively just getting curious about what the patterns are and what the impact is to having those patterns. So I just want to specify that because I think it's been a little while since we really got to clarify what we talk about versus what a therapist talks about. And so uh, for all the angst that this series grants us, it also grants us this opportunity as well. Um, but speaking of which, you know, I loved what you were saying, Mary, of just the the notion that a lot of them have fix-it tendencies, because I think one of the places that you see this the most clearly is with uh, Sayaka Miki, who is kind of like the secondary main character of the series. And again, going into this, the whole idea is that the way that these girls become magical girls is that they have wishes granted by this little alien Kyube. And for Sayaka, she specifically uses her wish to heal the boy that she has a crush on because he's a musician, he's a violinist, and he has this illness that makes his hands not work effectively anymore. And so Sayaka chooses to sacrifice her soul so as to give this boy his future back and in return, she never gets a chance to confess to him and instead spirals into a whole fit of despair because someone else confesses to him first. So we could go into how messy that is. But if we're specifically looking at the relationship pattern and what it cost Sayaka in this particular situation is she really robs her crush of the opportunity to generate life himself. She takes it upon herself to fix it for him. She's actually so willing to martyr herself for him that she gives up her own soul to make it happen. And what's really devastating is what we realize is that he never even knows or realizes that she's the one who made the sacrifice for him to magically be better. And so there isn't even a reward for, for her efforts. She doesn't get to confess. She doesn't get his love. She, he doesn't even ever know that she was a part of this conversation. And so immediately in the series, we know the consequence of that is that she spirals into nothingness. Her soul disappears and she becomes a witch. But from a coaching perspective, what we might look at is, hey, what's the consequence of you being the one to save other people and fix things for them? Well, the consequence is they never have to fix it themselves 
And usually you end up hurting yourself or burning yourself out in a process that turns out to be thankless. And also consider that there was actually nothing to fix because the boy that she has a crush on is alive and he just couldn't use his hands in the same way that he was used to before. That doesn't mean that he couldn't have access to some other part of himself to continue to grow and to continue to thrive. But by her fixing it, she actually takes away that opportunity for learning and growth and creates this relationship where she ends up resenting him because he doesn't see her when it's a dynamic that she created in the first place. And so when we're relating to people as coaches, we look at them as whole and complete. If you're actually looking at people from that place as there's nothing to fix here, What actually does that give you access to? How does that change the dynamic of the relationship? Because if Sayaka had said, hey, this is like, this is someone that I actually want to support and come from a supportive place and not from a fix it place. I want to be their friend. I want to be their partner. That actually changes the dynamic because now it's a balance and there's no um, power struggle in that relationship. But we see that time and time again, All of these characters kind of have the tendency to fall into these traps where they think that there's a relationship between their value, their worth, or being loved, or being seen in a certain way that has them sacrifice their souls. And I think another good example of that is actually the next character, which is Sakura. And Sakura is this really fiery, she has red hair, she's really strong character, one of the oldest magical girls. And we find that she, her father was a preacher and she has siblings and mom. And uh, his dad was banished from the church for some reason, like his ideas weren't, were just not favorable. And so they end up penniless and on the street. And so Sakura actually makes a wish to have her father be heard, have his ideas be heard. And when his father, her father finds out, he calls her a witch and goes crazy and spirals down again. And so Sakura, again, there's this fix it thing here. Like I have to fix my dad's problem for him. If I fix it, everything's gonna be okay. And what we find is that when she does that, it's actually not okay. And actually ends up in the death of her family. And so she's made, now she sacrificed her soul and gained nothing in exchange. And so my conversation with Sakura would be, hey, it's not your role to fix your dad. It's not your role to caretake for your dad. If you're actually taking care of yourself, what does that look like? If you're actually coming from a place that it's about you and not about them, what does that actually give you access to? Yeah, and you know, the other thing I want to highlight with Sakura's story is, you know, we've spent time so far talking about the characters individually, but I think that her backstory and how she ended up corrupted and ultimately turning into a witch says a lot about the relationship pattern amongst the magical girls in the series. And so, you know, there's a common phrase that we have that we tend to attract people into our lives that have the same stuff that we do. And by stuff, I mean anything. You could talk about it through the lens of the passions and hobbies that you have. You could talk about it through the profession that you're in. But you could also talk about it through the patterns and cycles that you have. And what really fascinates me in the series is that, you know, at this point when you're introduced to Sakura, 
Kyube is still trying to get Madoka, who is the main character of the series, to choose to be a magical girl and to make a wish. And Madoka is watching how this unfolds for Sakura and kind of gets an inkling that something must be up here based on how tragically it ends for her. But for whatever reason, watching her tragedy is not sufficient for Madoka to choose something different or choose outside of the pattern or choose to tell Kyube to go fuck itself or <laughs> any other option that's available. And I think that's really important to notice because we've mentioned this in a couple of our episodes where we talk about relationships and teams. When you desire to be outside of your predictable behaviors, you need to surround yourself with other people who also want that. And I think part of the self-fulfilling prophecy of misfortune that is the series is because all of these characters share this same pattern of self-sacrifice. All of them put it on themselves to use their wishes to help someone else, which ultimately results in their own downfall. Yeah, it's such a depressing show, Christina. <laughs> like, I just have to say that. <laughs> But since we started talking about Monica, let's continue with her. Um, so Monica is our protagonist and the main character. And throughout the series, we find that there's this other girl who's really trying hardcore to keep her from becoming a magical girl, from making that wish and becoming that evil witch. But there's something about Monica that keeps her drawn to this, this wish, this little alien bunny. And I mean, look, he's cute, but... Let's be real. She saw how her friends have been dying and really detrimentally affected by making these wishes and becoming magical girls. And when I look at her, what I find for Monica is that she it's almost like there's a correlation between her self-worth. Like I can only provide value to others if I sacrifice myself. And that's really sad and heartbreaking. And she takes up all this responsibility on her shoulders by herself. And we see this at the end. And spoiler alert, she actually does become a witch. And um, you see that she takes on the role of eliminating every, like the most powerful witch. And then she takes on the role of saving all of the magical girls. And in that process, she completely loses herself. She's not even part of this dimension anymore. She's basically condemned herself to a life of isolation and nothingness. And it's like, what? why? Like, why did it have to go this way for you? Especially when there are so many people around you who were trying to protect you from this fate. And was it worth the cost? Well, you know, I know that you keep referring it to it as depressing, Mary. And for me, I just find it fascinating. Like it, and what I mean by that is, again, part of how we could translate this into a coaching conversation is if you are a coach or even if you're just a confidant or if you're someone who works with people that are looking for advice or input or what to do next, I think that Madoka's journey is a reflection that ultimately other people can't choose a better path for you. Like you have to be the one to choose that path. And I think this is really reflected well in uh, Hamada's role in the series because Hamada is this other character that Mary uh, hinted to who is constantly trying to get in Madoka's way to ensure she doesn't become a magical girl. 
And what you realize is Hamada's has been a magical girl and her ability is to stop and rewind time. And so she's the character who behind the scenes has been chronically attempting to interfere with Kyube to stop this fate from happening. And it's interesting because I feel like most anime series where time travel is involved, that's a pretty OP power. You know, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty omnipotent. It's pretty godlike. But in this particular series, it's not actually sufficient to the timeline going any differently. Like, sure, it may, it may absolve the other magical girls of needing to go through the suffering that they go through. But Hamada's ultimate mission, which is to relieve Madoka of her suffering, isn't realized. And while that can be tragic or devastating, I think, it, again, it's just from an elevated place, it's interesting to see that other people could be interfering and trying their best to have it go differently. But unless you choose for it to be different, it doesn't actually matter. And, you know, sometimes I've talked about this with other friends. Sometimes I've tried to think of like, how else could Madoka have phrased her wish so that it could have been enough of a paradox that she could have been spared from her fate? Because I'm sure there is one. Every other anime seems to have a, a paradoxical twist. Why couldn't this one? Yeah, and I think Hamura is just... Um, really interesting to watch because what we see is that in her trying so hard to save her friend and change the timeline, she actually creates a much stronger, much more powerful Monica, which actually makes her a huge target. So unintentionally, she's creating the thing that she's trying to avoid. And that becomes a really tough realization for her when she realized that everything that she's been working for is actually going against her. And that's the moment that I would have liked to ask her, is this really worth it? Because it was never her job to save her friend. Like her friend had a journey and a destiny and she made her own choices. And instead of appreciating being grateful for everything that her friend did, she actually tries to go back and redo it, like erase it and start over. But in that process, she loses herself because what we see is that Homer is actually really talented, super brilliant, really strong. And then we lose the opportunity to actually see her develop that for herself. And in the process kind of sacrifices her whole life for this one person who in each timeline, each time she goes back has no memory of her. It's kind of like very similar to Miki in that sense where, there's no appreciation, no understanding of the lengths that she's going to, to save her friend. Sad face. If y'all could see our video recording right now, you'd see a very sad Mary who's still very upset with me. You know, I've got to say, uh, for those of you who somehow are a cross-referential uh, Madoka Magica fan and Narita fan, I know everyone says the Ninetales QB is the most feared one in existence, but I would assert that this tiny alien cat bunny QB is way more horrifying, <laughs> way more horrifying of a creature. Um, and as a quick anecdotal reference, a huge shout out to my friends, Henna and Richard, because Henna got her husband, Richard, to watch this series and similarly didn't, didn't tell him anything about it. And to Richard's credit and sixth sense, I think within a minute of being introduced to Cube, it was like, that shit's evil. I don't trust that shit. This isn't going to go. <laughs> Those are some good instincts, Christina, because it's very deceiving. And 
I think before, like, uh, what I'd want to add to this conversation is that, I don't know for you, Christina, but as I was watching all these girls, it was kind of clear to me that they hadn't really developed a sense of what their own needs were and the types of friendships that were actually supportive for them. Because I'd love to have asked any of them, hey, what is it that you want or need in a friendship and a partnership? What does that actually look like for you? How do these relationships actually support that? And if they don't support that, then what's actually holding you here in this space? Because we have to remind ourselves that it's okay to walk away from toxic relationships. We actually don't have to stay and make that choice. But I'm curious, Christina, if what you saw in all of that. Hmm. You know, I think, so here's the thing, right, is it is not our intention to record this episode and then to have you go, oh my God, so what? My life is just going to be a saga of uncovering toxic relationship patterns and then I'm doomed to fulfill on them. No, if anything, this should be the most hopeful episode you ever listened to. What I mean by that is because to your point, Mary, like, this particular series never gives these girls an opportunity to explore having a relationship to themselves. But ultimately, that's the secret sauce here is notice your patterns, notice what they cost you, and then look at how you can take care of yourself rather than take care of others in a way that it goes differently. And that's why for all of the misery I may have put you through, I really love this series because Magical Girls were my origin story in the anime fandom, so to speak. And so many of those other series, similarly, the characters are driven by love and faith and passion and desire. But I think the difference for them, whether you look at uh, any of the Sailor Scouts in Sailor Moon, or if you look at Sakura and Cardcaptor Sakura, or <laughs> you could pick a handful of them. I think the difference is that those characters get to have a moment where they come into themselves and really look at why they fight for them. You know, how the fighting for love is ultimately a fight for loving and accepting themselves as well. Yeah, it's a beautiful conversation because I do think it helps create that awareness for ourselves and like, well, what is it that I want? What is it that I want to create in this? How do I create those boundaries around the things that I'm willing to do and not willing to do? And I think it's a great because we all have them. We all have relationship patterns. We all have beliefs that we have about relationships. And I'm so curious to see like um, how you've approached this so far without the awareness. And now that there's this thing in place, like how you can actually have an empowered conversation and create it the way that you want and the way that makes sense for you. Yeah. So as we start to wrap up this episode, again, Use this as an opportunity just to begin to reflect for yourself. Where in your own real life relationships might you have created some fix it or savior tendencies? Like, where are you the one who puts it upon yourself to make life better for other people? And what is that costing you? You know, have you actually set that up in such a way where you are still sourced and you're receiving what you need and you're thriving? Have you created it in a way where you're ultimately burning the candle at both ends? And once you've noticed, what are you going to choose instead? Patience, self-love, acceptance, joy, perhaps. I think we could all use some joy after this conversation. Um, and the other question I have is, again, love this series partially because of the way that it took a genre and really turned it over 180, like really flipped the script of how it was supposed to go. 
And so if there's a more pure hearted magical girl series you'd like us to cover from here, let us know. Or alternatively, if there are other series that you know that challenged the genre that they were a part of that you would like to see us cover instead, shoot us a DM on Instagram or send us an email at our Gmail account because we'd love to binge watch it and let you know what we think of it. Yes, also a reminder, do not be deceived or fooled by cute little bunny aliens. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. And thanks so much for your support and your love and your patience. And we'll catch you in the next one. Bye-bye. For subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Have an idea for an episode or show you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Takupod, C-O-H-C-H-T-A-C-U-P-O-D, or email us at coachtakupod at gmail.com. Love your wonderful host? In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at Roar on Instagram. And you can follow Mary at Mary, M-E-R-Y, dot the nerdy coach. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.